<clears throat> Welcome everyone to Dem Heretic Adventures, a show bringing you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am the Kajiti Merchant. Hey, hey, quit taking my role. Oh, this one is sorry. I'll let you take over. Thank you very much. Welcome everyone to Tamrielic Adventures, a show bringing you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric, a.k.a. Sulior. That's my job, thank you very much. This one is sorry. And I just want to take a moment to thank everybody lately. So, the last episode that I posted on the Red Guards, um, that was... <laughs> For the lack of a better term, that was supposed to be a bonus episode. The main episode last week was supposed to be the uh, Khajiiti First Stocks episode. And I keep saying last week, it was actually two weeks ago. The last time I posted an episode, I posted not one, but two episodes. And the response for the Red Guard episode, I, it's kind of taken me aback because, like I said, that was just kind of a... A bonus episode but that has since become my most listened to episode that was not my introductory episode so thank you everybody but um yes that was the most recent episode don't forget about the kajidi first stock episode this one is trained not to be offended hey 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 it's okay it's okay so, um, yeah, there's lots of really cool information about the Khajiiti morphology and just what determines the first stock of a Khajiit and their different characteristics. So please go definitely check that episode out. Don't forget about the Khajiiti first stock episode just because it wasn't the most recent one. Anyway, so yes, thank you everybody though. The response on the latest episode has been incredible. So pat yourselves on the back. Thank you very much. Um, so there has been a little bit of news. So if you haven't logged into your ESO account recently, please go do that because they are giving everybody a bundle for free. Um, Let's see, I actually got mine yesterday because I honestly haven't logged into ESO much lately. But it gives you quite a few things. It gives you a cup like a a hair and facial like markings, like our face markings, body markings. Um, it gives you I think it gave me a a non-combat pet. I honestly can't remember which one it was, but it also gives you a player house, and and it's in south southeastern uh, western Skyrim, that region. And this house is huge. It is like a, it, I mean, obviously it's Nordic style, but it's probably as big, if not bigger, than the house you get during the Elsewhere storyline. Um, granted, I haven't unlocked all of the different areas with the tablets, but this house is huge, and it's got three levels to it, so definitely, definitely go log in and take advantage of that. I'm gonna, I've am i got it on Xbox. I'm about to go, as soon as this episode's done, I'm going to go get it on PC. So, um, that is really about it is that I can see as far as news on ESO. Um, they've got some spooky Halloween stuff in the crown store. So definitely go check out, check that out. Uh, speaking of stuff in, uh, stores, the fallout 76 Adam shop has updated with the Halloween items as well. Um, from what I've heard, it's actually stuff that was there last year, but Hey, I wasn't playing regularly last Halloween, so I did buy a couple things. I bought the Halloween vendors. I don't have many atoms right now. I bought the Halloween vendors, and I, there's a free, you know, glowing jack-o'-lantern that you can put in your camp. So, um, <clears throat> let's check some other Bethesda news. Um, yeah, ESO, like I said, um, 
Fallout 76 is recently updated, so got some more updates coming out. Um, the Skyrim Special Edition and Fallout 4, um, they've got some mods and Halloween-related stuff in there, Creation Club stuff, so go check that out. So that really is as far as I can see. I know that there's some more good stuff that's on the way with ESO. Um, I won't really get into that much now because, um, yeah, that that's really as as far as Elder Scrolls news that I can see. So let's get into my gameplay a little bit. So I have been playing Fallout 76. Obviously, I've been doing my dailies. I've been doing some daily ops. That's been fun. Uh, I played a little bit of WWE 2K Battlegrounds. Been continuing the story in that. That's that's been fun. Um, I don't know if you guys play that game or not. This isn't really a wrestling podcast, but if you know me, you know I like some wrestling and wrestling video games. Uh, I've been playing a little bit of Fallout 4. Um, not a whole lot. The biggest thing that I think I've been playing on stream lately has been Skyrim. So I've been playing a lot of Skyrim. So I completed the companion storyline. Um, so I am now the harbinger of the companions. I've married Ayla, the huntress, and she's been my companion lately. I have adopted two kids now. I've got a boy and a girl, and I have been by. I've been building up uh, Lakeview Manor. I've got the entire exterior of the house completed. Um, so I've got the I've got the house built. I'm just starting to fill it with shit. So um, I've got. I've been going doing quests, raising money, having Lydia, who's my steward there, buy me the furnishings, and then I've been, um, you know, filling it, like, completely furnishing the rest of it myself here, little by little. So, um, I did the Jagged Crown, um, I've been doing a little bit of the Civil War stuff also, so my last stream wasn't that great um with skyrim at least and that is because i um <laughs> I, w I was downloading another game and apparently that fucks with your uh stability with the internet so yeah um it wasn't that great it wasn't a great stream but i did complete the jagged crown quest now here here's an interesting thing this game has been out almost it's it's almost 10 years now well no not actually yeah it's it's been out nine years uh next month november 11th came out on 11 11 11 i if you if you know me with my <clears throat> thoughts on the whole Civil War storyline. You know I always go Stormcloaks, and you know why. I've explained that at nauseum during my Great War episode, and I rant about it on stream all the time. So, yeah, I always go Stormcloak. Now, there is a still existing bug in the Switch version, in the special edition they still haven't stamped this goddamn thing out and what it is is it's a bug where when you do the battle for white run as a stormcloak specifically as a stormcloak it won't fully complete the quest so when the battle for white run goes on the city of white run is on fire the map marker disappears mass chaos and then when you you, you you do it as a Stormcloak, you defeat Balgroth the Greater, and Vignar Greymane takes over. <clears throat> the quest officially completes as far as the journal goes. However, when you go into Whiterun, number one, the map marker is still missing. And 
the city is still on fire and the battle music still plays. However, everybody is going about their daily business like nothing else is going on. But it's really frustrating how you can't travel, you can't fast travel to Whiterun. Um, I've got a carriage at my house. That is one thing I made sure to invest in because not only is it free, like you don't have to pay to go to places you have, like to cities you haven't been before. It also has a more extensive list than the carriages outside the cities. So, it's just, you would think that eventually they would have stamped that out. I don't know if I need to just look up the unofficial patch on the Nexus store from my Xbox. I don't know, I've, I don't have any mods on my Xbox, but I may have to try and figure that out. I, it's just annoying because if I do that, then I won't get my achievements. Even though I've played this game extensively, I'd still like to get achievements on the Xbox. But hey, that's just me. So, that's annoying. Um, you, you can eventually have it finish if you do the main story far enough to where you have both uh, generals and their lieutenants sit down with the Greybeards to discuss a temporary truce. Or... Um, treaty just to until the dragon situation is taken care of so i'll just have to work at that it's just come on guys this <laughs> i i love the game but there's still like you you think eventually they would have updated the game to where that shit doesn't ha doesn't happen anymore but Hey, you know what? What can you do? At this point, they're they're probably they're not gonna do it. So, it is what it is. It's just I thought that was kind of funny that all these years later that bug is still a thing. And it was like I said, it was the same on the Switch too. I don't know why it's specifically for the Stormcloak side and not both, but yeah. Like, it was a hell of a time trying to get around that on the Switch. So, I don't know, maybe they just expect everybody to go Imperial. But, like I said, if you know the lore, you know why I go... I, I, I have no respect for the Empire, but, you know, that's just, that's just me. Not everybody thinks the way I do. But, as I was saying earlier... The reason why my stream was unstable when I was doing the Jagged Crown quest is because I was downloading Marvel's The Avengers. So, I, <laughs> that's another thing. I bought the disc. I bought the disc and yet you still have to download the entire game and use the disc when you go to put it in. I, I don't get that. Like, what's the point of having a disc if you still have to do that? But anyway... I digress. Yes, so I bought Marvel's The Avengers, and I've been playing that. I played some on stream the last couple of days, and I this game is really cool. Um, yes, it's pretty linear as far as the levels go. I've just been playing the campaign. I haven't been playing multiplayer or anything like that, but... Um, it, it is a pretty linear progression with the levels, but I don't mind that so much. I mean, I grew up on NES, so... Um, but this game is really fun. It's very pretty. I've seen some people complaining about the graphics on, and saying it was really boring. I haven't found it boring at all. And I think it looks quite good. Uh, but yeah, they're like, oh, these graphics were around back in 2013. <laughs> Quit. Uh, I, I get so tired of the negativity of the internet sometimes. But um, yeah, I, if you know me also, I'm a nerd of many different breeds, and one of them is comic book. I love my comic books. I've gone to all the Marvel and DC movies. I saw Watchmen. Um, yeah, so the story mainly follows 
Kamala Khan, who is Ms. Marvel in the comic book world now. And that was another thing that people were complaining about. I was like, why am I mainly playing as somebody who's not in the Avengers? And I was like, when did you stop reading the comics? Zip my lips. I'm not going to get into another rant. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean... Kamala Khan is the first Muslim superhero, from my understanding. So it's cool to see her featured in this game. I mean, she starts out as a fan of all these people. And then she becomes an inhuman. Um, the story of how that happens in this game is a little bit different than the comics. Um, but I don't mind that. I mean, it's, from my understanding, this game exists in its own universe so but yeah this game is it's been pretty fun i'm definitely gonna keep playing it so that has been my gameplay and that's been the news so let's take a quick break where you hear me talk about my sponsor anchor and then we'll finish off the khajiit and the races series so stay tuned guys see you on the other side guys welcome back so let's talk the history of khajiit so khajiit are a cat-like people who come from elsewhere um, all information comes from the uesp article by the way and they are known for among other things for their high intelligence and agility these traits make them very good thieves and acrobats but khajiit are also fearsome warriors however they are rarely known to be mages unless you go to the college of winterhold where there's people like jizargo and <laughs> other uh Khajiiti mages khajiit mostly stay on land but piracy and skimma trade does draw some to the work as sailors khajiiti anatomy differs greatly from both men and elves not only because they have fur and sometimes toe-walking stance, but also their digestive systems and metabolisms. Khajiit, Argonians, and Inga, are, or Imga, I'm sorry, are known as beast races of Tamriel because of these large differences. Khajiit have a lifespan similar to that of humans, and there is no well-documented cases of crossbreeding between Khajiit and other races. Though there are rumors of such a thing. I actually was kind of wondering about that. Like, can you... Uh, like, in Skyrim, you can marry other races. Like, I'm an Argonian in my um, Skyrim playthrough on the Xbox. And I'm married to a Nord. So, how, how exactly does that work? Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to know. But it is something that I was kind of curious about. But the foreign appearance and behavior of Khajiit make them common targets of racial discrimination. Yeah, we saw that a bit in Skyrim. And Oblivion, or no, not Oblivion, Morrowind actually. Khajiit and Argonians are slaves in Morrowind. And there's a whole side quest storyline where you can go and free them all. So even before the first men or myrrh set foot on Tamriel, the Khajiit were already native to the continent. However, the origin of the cat right, the cat folk on Tamriel remains debated. Legends speak of Khajiit to have originated from an intelligent feline race or being their cousins. This belief could be supported by the interpre interpretation of the encounter with four and two-legged cat demons by Topol the Pirate to be ancient Khajiit, just as Tamriel was being explored the, for the first time by the Aldmer. Other stories speak of them being descendants of Aldmeri's settlers, proved to be proved by the visual similarity of the Ohms and Omrots. Check the last episode for information on the Ohms and the Omrots to Men and Myrrh, especially Bosmer. The Khajiit uh, creation myth suggests that Bosmer and Khajiit have common ancestors. Azura, having taken the forest people that were torn between the shape of beasts and man and given them many shapes of Khajiit. 
but with Ifray telling Nerni of Azura's doings and shaping the remains of the forest people into Bosmer, this link was cut. The following history and culture of the Khajiit is very closely connected to their homeland, so there's actually a, an article on the history of elsewhere, but we won't really get into that. So let's talk about their society a little bit. The main, while the unofficial head of state, is no more a breed of Khajiit than the others is, and I talked about that in the last episode on um, the Khajiiti first talks about the main and what goes behind the main. But they're, yeah, they're just they're simply unique. There's only one at one time, so. Yeah, like I said, definitely go check out. I keep pushing that hard, but um, there's quite a bit of difference between the number of listens between the Red Guard episode and the Khajiiti First Stock episode. So I'm just I'm trying to make sure you guys get your information. So um, Khajiit tradition holds that only one main may be alive at one time since the main is one entity reborn in different bodies within the passage of time. Yeah, I mentioned that in the last episode. So, The veracity of this is unknown, but there has been no recorded instance of multiple mains contending for power. The Khajiit are divided by two disparate ways of life. The civilized jungles and river, uh, river basins of southern elsewhere, which have ancient mercantile traditions, a stable an Agrinian aristocracy based on the exploitation of salt rice and moon sugar, and a thriving artistic culture which contrasts greatly with the nomadic tribes or pride-centric Khajiit of the dry northern wastelands and grasslands, where aggressive and territorial raiders occasionally unite under a single chieftain. It is widely held that the greatest force among the Khajiit are the clan mothers. <laughs> that honestly doesn't come as a surprise. It is they, ultimately, who control both the harvest and the refining of moon sugar, and thus they are they are, who are seen as the most influential. The Khajiit often refer to moon sugar as crystallized moonlight trapped by glimmering waters of the Topol Sea and washed the, to the sugarcane groves of the Tenmer Forest by the tides under the guidance of Hermora. That name actually sounds familiar. The Khajiit believe that by consuming it, they are consuming a small portion of the eternal souls of the moon gods, Joan and Jode. It drives them to, into fits of ecstasy and abandon, purportedly leaving the streets of elsewhere's major cities strewn with catmen shivering in the grips of sugar fits. That would be a sight to see. So, um... Despite the extremely addictive nature of the sugar, it is an integral part of the Khajiiti life and chief export of elsewhere, where it is smuggled out both in raw and refined forms. It helps support a thriving black market. It is said that one can purchase practically anything among the Khajiit. Yeah, that <laughs> they're one of the very few people who will take moon sugar if you have some to sell. Khajiit of the desert tribes are often buried with a small cairn of stones so their bodies can be easily used by necromancers. Interesting, I did not know that. This love of moon sugar has given them a sweet tooth. Candies, cakes, puddings, sugar meats are staples of the Khajiit diet, each generously enriched with moon sugar. This relationship between regional and cultural practice goes deeper than the appearance suggests. According to legend, the Khajiit and their deities are bound up in the lunar latisse, no less than the famed liminal barriers, the tendency of Mundus to remain discreet from the, the Sea of Oblivion, and the force that keeps the Daedra out of Nur. In this way, the Khajiit, Moonsugar, Lorcan's Moons, Lorcan's Heart, and White Gold Tower are all related as all play a part in the shaping of the fundamental structure of the mortal plane. Moon singers are known as the keepers of the lore, the storytellers, and the, the ancient tales and legends. Similar to the Bosmeri spinners, they are well respected among the Khajiit and are primarily found in elsewhere. Knowledge of some ancient tales, such as the tales of Kunzari, 
and the demons are split across several moon singers in order to maintain its secrets. So maybe these moon singers know what really happened to the Dwimmer and some of these other secrets that have been kept and they just keep spreading other stories. I don't know. That That's kind of interesting. Over the years, Khajiit had to deal with the worry of being kidnapped and sold into slavery, especially in Morrowind, which I mentioned earlier. That, I, ugh, man, can't imagine that. So they have taken self-defense very seriously, as one should. While the majority of Khajiit prefer to use their razor-sharp and retractable claws as weapons in numerous forms of Khajiiti martial arts like Goat Fang, Whispering Fang, and Rawith Kaj, Many have mastered the use of the saber, scimitar, dagger, and longbow. There's actually a one of the people you have to kill in the Dark Brotherhood storyline in Oblivion is a Khajiit, and he definitely knew some martial arts. So that, yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Their chosen mastery is often reflected in male Khajiiti names, through which they display their status in life with the prefix though care is always taken for the use of two titles is perceived perceived as the result of either great pride or ignorance. <laughs> it's usually one or the other, right? While widely speculated, it is unknown whether the Khajiit are in any way related to the Potan, currently the Kapotan, people, the cat people of Akavir, or the Limothit, the vulpine beast race which once inhabited black marsh and you know what i never talked about those i never talked about the akaviri races or races that are no longer around like the limothith the vulpine the fox race there's also birdmen in cyrodiil which i did talk about a little bit i believe not a whole lot but that's just the thing there's not a whole lot known about these races anymore there is a book called mysterious akavir which by the title itself should tell you how much is really known i know there's also a serpent race that was in that at least was in akavir maybe one day i'll get to that so so let's talk about their art and architecture the architecture of the khajiit venerates the divine nature of the moons, which, yeah, their whole existence is based on the lunar positions, as I mentioned in the last Khajiit episode. Khajiit's age-old culture is evident in their ancient stone uh, architecture. Their ancient stone architecture, easy for me to say, right? Much of these ancient structures include some of their great monuments, but they have fallen into despair. Newer Khajiit architecture has since emerged, featuring stilted houses and pointed roofs. Both new and old architecture styles are often blended together within Khajiit cities. Some of the architecture accomplishments of the Khajiit involve taming various environments. The city of Rimen, which plays a huge part in the Elsewhere uh, chapter of ESO, spent a lot of time there. That's actually where the player house in there comes from. There's actually two player houses that you can get in Rimen, but I digress. The city of Rimen is a great example, which functions as a man-made oasis maintained by artificial canals and great aqueducts. Yeah, you see a lot of, there's a lot of that in there. Other examples include rock-cut architecture, which you also do see a lot of that in elsewhere. A lot of their cities Maybe not Canarthi's Roost, but a lot of their big cities in the mainland uh, are cut out of rock. But uh, those type of houses involve Khajiiti stone buildings built into cliff faces. The Khajiit have also tamed the realm of the Moonjode, erecting Khajiiti temples which are which are ancient moon uh, Khajiiti moon priests one, they once visited to honor the moons. Um, as I was mentioning earlier, the player house, the big player house that you get in elsewhere, it's kind of cool because there's a moon window and you place these tablets around the room and it'll 
uh, it'll reflect the moonlight and it'll open up other wings to the house. It's really cool. Um, you just have to check it out for yourself. It's really hard to describe adequately, but um, that, yeah, it's it's it, it just it's just like this house keeps growing. So um, a lot of elsewhere is a desert. There's there's jungles, but there's also a desert, and this the oppressive climate of elsewhere makes it impractical to wear heavy clothing and armor. The typical bipedal Khajiit dresses in an ample shawl of brightly colored cloth known as a budi, B-U-D-I, for defensive, for defense against the harsh rays of the sun. The shirt is tightly, tightly fastened in braids down the right side. I cannot talk today. I really apologize. But this is to prevent any part of the torso for, from being seen, as the exposure of such in public is deemed both offensive and unsightly. Can't be showing that. So instead of showing off a lot of skin, they'll be showing off a lot of fur, and I guess that's offensive and unsightly. I guess it depends on who you ask. <laughs> Khajiit martial efficiency is a priority in Khajiiti culture, and armor and weapons are built for both their naturally light frames and dexterity. The lightest of armor is quilted or padded with cloth around the midriff and vital areas. Medium weight armor is exquisitely fashioned from loose fitting leather and the heaviest armor is leathered overlaid and lacquered in highly burnished metal plates. As Khajiit dislike restraint, which being a cat I, I can imagine. Only other, un, under the most harrowing conditions will they don full battle armor. Unless you're me, I typically play in, you know, heavy armor, but gotta protect me. Khajiit are flamboyant in their fashion choices, as, and as a result, the light armor is often mistaken for flamboyant clothing. <laughs> Furthermore, most Khajiit bedeck themselves with jewelry. Yeah, a lot of rings, a lot of amulets and stuff like that and occasionally even herbs such as nightshade why would you wear a nightshade around that's just asking for trouble their tattoos often have a deep cultural and religious significance as they're they signify their race and tribe and gods of their worship the Khajiit of Aquina and Pelatine develop visually distinctive styles of armor and weapons so yeah back in the earlier days there were two different province, quote-unquote provinces in in uh, elsewhere, which I think I did talk about this a little bit in one of my episodes. I can't remember off the top of my head which one, but it's Aquina, or Aniquina, sorry, Aniquina. I was mispronouncing that, and Pelatine. So Aquina's styled armor, in comparison, delves heavy heavily into lunar imagery. Every piece of Anequina, I keep mispronouncing it, it's Anequina. Anequina styled armor typically features their image to show reverence. The Khajiit of Pelatine design their armor to intimidate, such as their helmets being shaped to look like snarling cat demons. That would intimidate me. <laughs> Giant snarling cat just charging at you. It's like imagine a centrot coming at me. Regardless of region, Khajiiti weapons are designed to be lightweight and boots and gloves are designed to have claws uncovered. Yeah, why would you want to cover up your already existing weapons? To the Khajiiti people, exposed claws are necessary for dexterous hand movements and to ensure that they can never truly be disarmed. Yeah, I'd say so. Also, need to get up a tree? There you go. So they have something called claw dances, and the art of claw dances refers to the Khajiit martial arts, which play a major yet aesthetic part in the race's history and philosophy. They are considered synonymous with unarmored forms of defense, or the lack of any armor. There are many different disciplines. There are many different disciplines that can generally be taught in the Temple of the Two Moons dance but they are known to be studied in their own monasteries, commonly known throughout the province of elsewhere as adeptoriums. 
While most see it as a form of combat, it is meant to be a lyrical meditation, much different than the other racist forms of meditation, which are quiet and lack movement. The qua dances come from the nervous energy that was excreting from the monks at the time. Excreting is kind of a funny word. Excreting from the monks at the time and the focus on raw physicality. Considering their predatorial instinct and the movement of their claws, it became a distinct form of martial art that led to claw strikes and wide leaps. So it's kind of like combining dancing and, you know, like the dance style of combat with meditation, which a lot of martial arts do focus on meditation. So... That's actually kind of cool. So, um, there are a few Kashidi clans. So, let's talk about that. It has to do with their society. So, apparently my dog really has an itch. That, that's kind of distracting. I apologize. Long before the unification of Anaquina and Pelatine into one kingdom... 16 Khajiiti clans roamed the province, and these clans went where they were needed, but often were simplified as belonging to a regional realm. With combination of outside pressures and the mastery of areas of expertise, it became more accurate to associate a clan with an area. Eventually, 16 tribes became 16 kingdoms. The lullaby known as Hasa Jaja explains how these clans got their name. While the poem, known as Zanzab, tells of the transition from clan names being used to refer to the names of the regions. Due to the Thracian Plague, which I talked about extensively in my Deadly Diseases of Tamriel episode, these 16 clans changed their tribal functions, or they may have died due to starvation and hardships. These clans essentially became two and were separated ideologically and geographically as what we would know become as Anequina and Pelatine. New clans, however, would emerge. The following is a list of Khajiiti clans whose names are known, but other clans exist but have not been named and are not included in the list. For Khajiiti vampire clans, uh, there's an entire other article about that, so... I'm not going to get into that right now, but let's talk about some of the others. So there's the Bandari Peddlers, or simply the Bandari. And they are a clan of nomadic Khajiiti merchants that travel all over Tamriel. So we've probably seen these guys in Skyrim. So uh, they go as far as the northern regions of the Iliac Bay and the western reach. The reach is the uh, Markarth Hold. Or the elven territories of Valenwood and the Somerset Isles. Despite the animosity they experience from other races, they are inclusive when it comes to recruiting other non-Khajiit into their ranks. They live by a code of conduct known as the Bandari Code, which states that loose items are rightfully salvageable. Well, I have to agree with that. So, you know... The peddlers must include clients in prophecies they want to believe in and guarantee them to have a product's utmost value and versatility. The Madari clan live by this lifestyle with no other alternative as it is set in stone. They consider themselves the quote-unquote wandering litter of the Bandar, the bandit god of southern Tamriel, and they adapt the god's will as seen in their name. So, yeah, we've probably seen these guys wandering around and uh, interacted with them. I certainly have. They're one of the few. They do sell a lot of general goods. Um, I don't know if they're, I don't remember. I don't think there's a way to ask them where they get their merchandise. But, hey, you know, being a, mer a mercenary like I am, I typically just take random stuff from places too so next up we've got the Doomguard Outwalkers formerly known as the Dakarn clan where Khajiiti brigands that wage war with the Vine Dusk Rangers of Allenwood come across the provincial border in Reapers March 
They were active in the late years of the Second Empire, the Second Era. Remnants of this clan became known by its current name, the Dungard Outwalkers. So, I guess not much is known about that. The Fashe, I think is how you pronounce this. F apostrophe A-A-S-H-E, Fashe. Not much is known about them, but they inhabited the region, a region of elsewhere, west of Remen during the Umbriel Crisis. Uh, I think I talked about that a little bit during the Great War episode. The Umbriel Crisis was where there was this floating piece of rock that was just causing destruction. Um, it takes place in between the, or the events of Oblivion and the events of Skyrim. Uh, toward the beginning of the fourth era um they it there are two books that talk about this um, El- elder scrolls novels i can't remember i what the top of what they are off the top of my head um i think one is called called the floating city i'm gonna have to look that up but um but yeah this is where you learn about the umbrial crisis and they were, this clan, the Fashe clan, were a free clan barred from entry from the city of Remen due to the scarcity of moon sugar in their region, yet being plentiful in the xenophobic city of Remen. Some of their warriors agreed to accompany Atribus Mead to stop the flying city of Umbriel as thanks for purchasing the vital product from Remen. They've traveled through various plains of oblivion, hoping to reach Vardenfell before Umbriel did. I really need to read these books. I read a little bit of the first one, but I never finished it. And like I said, there's two. So, um, the Kashidi warriors that accompanied me perished within the hunting grounds to allow Atribis to escape from Hercene's pursuit. Next up, we've got the Nequinol. So they were a clan of warriors trained in martial disciplines and battle tactics, and are the origin of the, and the, are the origin of the name of the geographical region of Anequina. After merging, after the merging of the sixteen original clans of elsewhere into two clans, the Anequinol were separated geographically from the Palatine and would make their home and uh, home in the arid northern region of what is now called Anequina. They would continue to roam and follow tribal customs. So then we've got the so we got the Nequinol. Next up, we've got the Palatin, which I just mentioned, and they were a clan of moon priests that lived amongst the clans. And the ori- origin of the name of the geographical region of Palatin, which you probably picked up on that, I would imagine. They left an imprint within southern elsewhere in the city of Setral, Senchal, sorry, when they provided amid the midst of the southern region what is now called Peloton, and would greatly influence the external forces. Indeed, they emulated much of their customs from the other lands, forming political and social structures that primarily resembled those of Hyrock and Cyrodiil. So we got two more here. We got the Pride of Akatosh, and they were a clan of warriors found, founded by Jadari, the first champion of Akatosh. No, it's, it's Alkosh. That looks so similar to Akatosh. Alkosh. I really apologize. Cubs born under the Eclipse who are not destined to rule as Manes are given to this clan, becoming known as Forgotten Manes. That's kind of sad. They serve Alkosh and are trained to protect elsewhere. They worked alongside the Dragon Guard when Elsewhere was split into 16 kingdoms to rid Elsewhere of the threat of the dragon La Volum. L A A T V U L O N. La Volum. They're tied heavily to the artifact known as the Mask of Alkosh. I can't believe I mispronounced That's so similar to the word Akatosh. I just kind of. So, next up, we've got the Essential. Finally, we've got the Essential, and they are a clan of shipwrights and sailors known to sail between ports. They often congregated where the modern city, modern-day city of Senchal is now located. As their landing area evolved into a thriving town, a clan leader was instilled as its leader. So, got a little bit about their 
language here this episode is going to go really long so you may like that you may not so it is what it is so their language is known as tagara t-a apostrophe a-g-r-a and it is many natives of elsewhere speak tamrielic and it is not uncommon for because you need to interject tagara words or phrases into their sentences yeah you see that a lot notably they tend to have a speech pattern that consists of talking in third person or speaking tamarillic this one and kajit uh, yes we speak in third person kajit speak in third person the word kajit is derived from tagara and tagara words as kaj and eat Kaj means sand or desert, and the suffix eat indicates an occupation or race of place of residence. An occupation or place of residence. As such, Kazit might be translated in as desert dweller or one who works in the desert. But it is but as one of the commonly does in the desert is to walk, Kajit is normally translated as desert walker, and thus are many Khajiit known. So I talked a little bit about their religion here. They are a monomythic society and are educated in their beliefs by the figures of communities known as clan mothers, which I mentioned earlier, whose duty it is to disseminate the cultural myths among their kind and who maintain autonomy from the main and are disparate tribal leaders. So, I don't think I talked about their origin yet, so let's talk a little bit about their origin. On the origin of their species, the Khajiit believe that life originated when the two litter mates, Anur and Fundami, gave birth to the first cat, Alkosh. Okay, so Alkosh was given the guardianship of time, and whose birth prompted by Abnur, or Anur and Fadome to bring forth further life into the world. And thus they created Kanarthi. Kanarthi, which that name sounds should sound familiar if you've played ESO Kanarthi. So he was guardian of the winds, and Magris, the guardian of the sun, Mara, the guardian of love, and Sten, Sen, Srendar, sorry. I wanted to say Stendar, but it's not, it's Srendar, guardian of mercy, which these names should sound familiar if you know anything about the pantheon. In time, Anur and Fatami wished to share the happiness they felt in life with further children, and so Fatami gave birth to Hermora of the tides and Hercene of hunger. And that, like, these names should sound familiar also. Maroons of Destruction, Mafala, the Clan of Mothers, and Sangin of Blood and Life, and Shagorath, or Shigorath, there's no O in it, of Insanity, and many others. Yes, these names should sound really familiar. So, Anur decided to stop having children since further offspring would dilute their happiness. That sounds kind of weird, but okay. However, Fatimi was pursued, persuaded by Kanarthi, who had grown lonely in the realm of the winds, to give birth to further children, and this she did, bringing forth Nurni, the majestic sands of lush and forest, Azura of dusk and dawn, as well as the moons and motions. And it was at the time of her birthing that Fatimi was caught by Ab. Anur, who, angered at her trickery and disobedience, struck her. She, fearing the life of her children, fled with them to the great darkness and gave birth to her final child, Lorkaj, who, uh, my guess is, became Lorkan. Having been born amidst the darkness, the Khajiit believed that Lorkaj's heart was filled with such, and thus the great darkness made aware of itself and then became known as Nimira. So, yeah, a lot of these names sound very familiar. They're a little bit different than how we really how we know them. 
So, amidst the darkness surrounded by her children, Fatima realized her death was near and set the moons Joan and Joad into the skies to get to guide her children and protect them from Anur's wrath. She gave Nirni the greatest gift, proclaiming that she would give birth to as many children as Fatima had. Nirni was pleased because Azura, whom she, with whom she routinely squabbled, had been left with nothing. That's kind of rude, but okay. Protected by the lunar Latisse, the children of Fatima left, save for Azura, into the silence and void their absence caused. Azura approached her mother and was given her gifts in the form of three secrets. She was told to take one of Nirni's children and change them, making them the fastest, cleverest, and most beautiful creatures, naming them Khajiit. Second, they must be fashioned as the best climbers, climb upon the winds of Kanarthi's breath, and set Master and Secunda aright, lest they fail. Lastly, the Khajiit must be the best deceivers, able to hide their true nature from others. Then Fatima died, and Azura left to join her again. Nirni approached Lorkaj, whom she asked to create her children a dwelling. He did so, and yet the great darkness in his heart influenced him to deceive his siblings so that they were trapped in the new place with Nirni. Some managed to escape death and become stars, and those who remained punished by Lorkaj by tearing his heart out and hiding it deep within Nirni so that he would be with her and he had done the most harm. Texts that predate the Riddle Thar Epiphany speak of Lorkaj surviving this encounter, allowing him to free Azura with the hole in his chest, where he saw Nimirid still dwelling within his wound, keeping him alive and corrupting him by imitating his heart. Azura cleansed Lorkaj of the corruption and flung the dark heart of Lorkaj into the void, and Lorkaj perished within Azura's embrace. From the dark heart came the twisted shade of Lorkaj known as the Moon Beast, the first of the Dromatur. And so Lorkaj represents the duality of the Khajiiti souls and the susceptibility towards the bent dance, the spiritual corruption of the Dromatur. Upon the new world of Lorkaj's creation, Nirni came to give birth to her children, who were many, but wept bitter tears of her, for her favorite, the forest people, who did not know their proper shape. That sounds like Bosmer. It was at this time that Azura came forth and comforted her, promising to make new people for Nirni as a gift. She spoke Fatima's first secret to the moons parted for her, and the moons parted for her. And she took some of the forest people and placed them in the desert and forest where she fashioned them in many forms, one for each purpose they might need. And having done so, named them Khajiit. Orzora then told them the secret secret, second secret and made them Nirni's secret defenders and bound them to the lunar Latisse. And then she spoke the third secret in making the light shine down Upon the marshes where they became the crystallized midnight moonlight known as moon sugar, a substance holy to the Khajiit. Though some ancient traditions credited her scene, whose sphere represents the skin changing, which, yeah, uh, hey, with the fathering the precursors of the Khajiit. The act of a Khajiit changing their lunar latisse, giving form for another is considered taboo in most circles. Kanarthi was a boundless and free spirit whose domain was the sky, but suffered from loneliness. Prior to her death, Fatimi had given her company of Margus in the day, Joan and Jode at night, and Azura in between. But each were bound by their own path and could never truly share Kanarthi's joy. Seeing her grief, Azura shared a secret to Kanarthi, making her a psychopomp that would accompany the spirits of the deceased Khajiit to the afterlife of Lelswer, the sands beyond the stars. Nimura is the antithesis to Kanarthi. Instead of dragging the spirit of the Khajiit that fall victim to the bent dance and to the dark world where they became part of her litter, 
Those of this litter occasionally slip through the cracks and yearning the attempt and tempt true cats so their souls could be too sent to the dark to serve Numera as an Andromeda. To combat Numeri's dark litter and save the Kajiti souls from corruption, from Azura's tongue came the dark or sorry, the dusk canticles, holy hymns to exercise Dromeda. And so explains the fight for the souls of Khajiit. So when Azura was speaking the secrets, the first was heard by Numeris mate Ephray. Sorry, Nirni's mate Ephray, who told Nirni of Azura's deed. Nirni, in retribution for her changed and now lost children, made the deserts hot and sands biting and filled the forests of water with poison. To separate her beloved children from those of Azura, she allowed Ephray to change those who remained so that they would always be of the myrrh. Never beasts and named them Bosmer. From that moment forth, the two were eternally separated and as their makers were bound in animosity with one another. Per Riddlethar's texts claim that Nimira would later further escalate the hostility by corrupting Ephray, who would then kill Nirni. Azura, Kanarthi, and Hirsin would then avenge her and make a cairn for Nirni out of Ephray's bones. In this fashion, the Khajiit explain not only their origins, but their bond to the moons and conflict with the Bosmer. The Bosmeri creation myth does complement the Khajiiti myth, as both speak of shapeless entities. And like the Khajiiti creation myth, Ephray, or their naming scheme, which is Ephray, is indeed credited with giving its shape to the Bosmer. Yeah, I explained that in the Bosmer episode, so. Of the surviving letter fragments of Topol the pilot, the following passage tells of his encounter with the ancient ancestors of Khajiit sometime during the Middle Marithic era. The cat demons of four legs and two ran the river's length, always keeping keeping the boat in their green-eyed sight, hissing and spitting and roaring with rage. To theories of the imperial scholars contradict the Khajiiti origin, these cat demons reported by Topol are interpreted as evidence to imperial scholars for their belief that the Khajiit are descendants of the great cat race. Of the great cat race. These great cats are said to have originally walked on four paws, but eventually learned to walk on two feet and became the leading predator of elsewhere. However, the ancient ancestors of Topol encountered that Topol encountered fit the description of both quadrupedal and bipedal first stocks, giving more credence to these cats simply being ancient Khajiit bound to the lunar latisse. These origins may be further debated as Pelinal Whitestrake, the leader of the elven pogrom, slew many thousands of Khajiit during the same era under the mistaken impression that they were another strain of Aldmeri, so closely did they resemble such. There are other reports and they raise the possibility that Khajiit in general may have an elven ancestry, so really nobody really knows at this point where exactly the Khajiit came from there's a few different possibilities but I hold that um, they were created by the Adra so that, I mean that's just me so I mean and there it's been proven that their first stocks are determined by the lunar positions so I mean, I don't know what else can really be said about that. So, But in the description, there were named a lot of different existing Aedra and Daedra. So just under a different name. So I'm not going to really get into those. I am going to be saving that for my Aedra and Daedra series, which I will be starting very, very, very soon next episode in fact so um there's a lot here about their different existing pantheon so i'm not gonna really get into that 
And the only other thing that could be covered with Khajiit is their first talks, which I did in the last Khajiit episode. So that is really about it with the Khajiit. Uh, This episode has run pretty long. So I want to thank The Hive once again for um, sponsoring this episode. And thank all you guys once again for really just being here listening to me ramble on and on about all these different subjects so i'm there's a lot there's always more to cover with the elder scrolls as i'm sure you know so if you would like to get a hold of me you can find me on instagram and twitter at tamrealicp or twitter at tamrealicp instagram at tamrealicadventures you can find me in-game in ESO on the Xbox at uh, Sulior and at the uh, PC North America at EE Gold, E-E-G-O-L-D. You can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash where I don't just stream Bethesda games, I stream a lot of other stuff, but mostly Bethesda games. And um, also there is an email if you would like to reach me that way and make it a little bit more private at tamrielcadventurespodcast at gmail.com. I have my own Discord if you would like to come and discuss things there. I will leave the link for that in the show notes. Uh, Right now I'm the only one, Um, but that's okay. That's okay. That could change. Like I said, this this show has grown a lot faster than I ever could have imagined, and I have you guys to thank for that. So, once again, thank you, and I will be covering, in the next episode, I will start the Aedra and Daedra, as I mentioned earlier. I am going to be starting with Lorcan, and then I am going to, because I think that that's probably the most appropriate place to start. And then go through the Adra first, and I'm going to go through both the Adra and Daedra alphabetically. So stay tuned for that, and just uh, don't forget to, I always forget to mention this, but please, please, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the word out. And as always, stay safe, adventurers. <laughs>